the size of this community as it grows is going to grab the attention of a because it's a counterculture. It's it's a mm. it's a different culture that's starting to develop within this this group of followers. And you know the idea of church that we get that word uh, comes from two Greek words ek uh, or uh, kaleo, uh, and so it's the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones. So this idea of a group of people that have been called out and are gathered, and so there's this sense of this group that is gathered and is is now separated from the rest of the people. And so there is something that God is up to in the church. We see it here and we should see it more and more prominently today. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome to the Take and Read podcast. I am Pastor Chad, and with me today, I have a returning guest uh, that I always enjoy having on. Uh, Casey Noble is in the house with us, so welcome back. So good. Hey, thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm glad. <laughs> it has been a while. Uh, we haven't been able to connect for a while. Uh and so it's it's really exciting to reconnect because when I haven't gotten to see one of my take and read friends for a while, I get to learn about what the Lord has been teaching them, and I'm always excited because you have a, a particular way of paying attention to what the Lord's teaching you. And so some people are they they kind of have to stop and think, but you seem to be somebody who's kind of self aware and regularly. Uh, mindful of, okay, Lord, I see what you're doing here. Uh, so I'm curious, what's uh, what's the Lord been teaching you uh, since we last spoke? He's been teaching me that I do not want to go to hell because it's even hotter than Texas. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some self-awareness for you today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, no. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, that's, so when we're recording this, uh, I'm in Montana, Casey's in Texas, and it has been a record hot and dry summer there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. when I lived there, it was it was always hot and dry, and yet it was still really humid and miserable. Uh, but everything was brown and dead because there had been no rain. And this summer, it's like hit a bunch of records. A, a bunch. A bunch. A bunch. It's been hot. And you guys are on like but water restrictions. You water you're not allowed to like water anything. And yeah, so okay, so you're it's learning been, that if hell's anything like Texas, then you're out. Right. Like, okay. Yes. No. Uh, what am I learning? You know, the Lord is still. He's been working this train of prayer in me for some time and I I'm really uh, appreciating that work that he's doing in me in different ways that he's um teaching me not only the vitality that prayer gives me but also the necessity that prayer is in my life and I think while um I may had habits of prayer I don't think I always recognize the 
the gift that it is in my life. I considered it maybe more of a, a, a little bit more of something I had to do. So he's really exposing the gift that communing with him is in my mm. life. That's one thing. And he's working on me just in regard to rest. And I don't mean the kind of rest that we do because of work or, but just resting from striving the rest from constantly being in myself and trying to achieve a better relationship with Jesus in myself, a closer relationship with Jesus in myself, better at my ministry, you know, this better doer, mm -hmm. that kind of, of doing mentality. And he's just come repeatedly showing me in his word that um, he's already done it. And that the invitation is simply to come and rest in my union with him and to, to give up the striving. So uh, that I, that is a welcomed uh, hmm. gift. I'm welcomely receiving that word from, from the Lord and how he's shaping that in me. Yeah, so you, you mentioned two things, and I want to pick up on both of them. So you referenced prayer, and for you, understanding the the gift that prayer is and not a task to be accomplished or a box to be checked in order to, you know, demonstrate loyalty or some sort of piety towards God, but you see it, you know, and under, are understanding it more and more as a gift. How do you engage in it? Uh, does understanding it as a gift change the way that you do it, the frequency, the where, uh, the when, the how? That's a great question. I have uh, recognized that while I used to consider prayer only a place of where I got quiet and sat down and I, I have expanded my opportunities with the Lord that I walk, I, I go for walks because just my, my nature is that when I'm, when I move, I think better when I move, I process better. And so I, I go on walks and I talk with the Lord a lot. And that's kind of a, opened up a way of just interacting with him that I can listen to him better. I, I It's just a, so that is a, a when and where that has uh, changed for, but also where I used to, okay, let me back up here. It opens up when Paul says, pray without ceasing. Mm. Because suddenly, rather than coming to a time in the morning or in the evening, whenever it is, where I'm dedicating that time to prayer, which I do, I'm just open to prayer all day long, speaking with the Lord all day long, hearing, listening for Him, just recognizing that um, throughout the day, there's that opportunity to stay in an open line of communication with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so... And when, when it's beautiful and you realize what vitality it brings to your soul and how it brings your, it just brings me alive. That time with the Lord is a, a shot of everything I need. Then you don't want to leave it. You mm -hmm. want to stay in it. So I would say that's, and, and it's always challenging. I'm easily distracted and um, my mind wanders quickly and I have a habit of uh, kind of manically ranting at the Lord. <laughs> and so oh, wow. it's finding that place where I'm quiet and still that I and find, you know, that that's the challenge for me. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I think I can relate a little bit in this last year. I have 
I have intentionally sought to turn off uh, all music or podcasts in my car and just drive in silence. And it's, it's not like a super complicated thing. I just turn it off and I kind of just start out my drive when I have a commute. Cause I've every day I know I'm going to commute 10 minutes to the office and 10 minutes back. And then I'll have several other drives throughout the day. And I've found this not even feeling it if I'm, you know, with a certain kind of worship music or anything, I could literally just turn everything off and just say, Lord, is there anything that that you want to to teach me any kind of knowledge you want to make me aware of and sometimes the prayer is god you have all knowledge and i don't but you've asked me to to interact with people and is there something you want me to know as i go into this conversation or is there something you need me to know right now about where i'm living mm-hmm. that would help me carry out what you already know and want me to do. And then I just kind of listen, I think, and I process. And then exactly. if a thought comes up, I'm, hey, Lord, is this is this something you want me to pursue? And, and so I, I, just, I don't ever hear an audible voice in return, but I do, uh, I would say that I feel a particular peace or a confidence about maybe a, a certain course of action or a thought that I'm having. And mm. so I I just kind of try to use that time, that margin in my day where I know I'm going to be driving and mm-hmm. I can fill it with, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I can relate to that. The other thing I'd like to pick up on, you mentioned this, the a season of rest that is brought about by not striving. So not rest in the sense that you're on vacation or you're sitting down somewhere relaxing, but you're talking about this rest from the, the, uh, the willful striving to achieve in all these particular areas of your life. Mm -hmm. And that rather than trying to manufacture or out of your own strength, make something happen or or achieve something or do something, you kind of release the white knuckle grip on it and just rest in the fact that I'm going to go into this and he's already won. So I'll just be available to him as, as I, is that kind of what you would that say? Is, that That is what I would say. It's that, that idea that no matter what I do today, the Lord's not going to love me any more or any less. Hmm. And for me, the way I'm wired, it's that the Lord's not going to love me anymore. He already loves me at full capacity. <laughs> and yeah. there's there's nothing I'm going to do today that's going to make him love me more. And it's just, it's it's resting in that that love, that delight he already has for me. And then recognizing that this is a holy God yeah, and that he delights in me and I can spend time at his feet. And, and in that time that I spend with him and that in that time, that rest actually produces bit by bit a holiness in me mm-hmm. that I don't have to produce myself. I don't, there's, you know, I, I think we're just, we're wired at the end of the day. We all want to lay down our heads and go, what did I do today to make 
my life better? What did I do yeah. today to make my life more satisfactory? Yeah. What did I do? You know, that's how we're wired. And that that's where that element of the Lord, that that's where I really resonate with Jesus mm. is that he is fully satisfactory in my life. He satisfies everything. There is nothing I can do in this day at the end of this day that will make me more satisfied because Jesus is fully satisfactory in my life. He fills every hole. That's and awesome. That's the rest. That is rest. Well, that's great. That's good stuff. See, it's more than just Texas heat. You're constantly <laughs> processing and I'm grateful for it. Uh, okay. Well, since, uh, I think since you were last on the podcast, have you been a part of the Axe discussion? You, you, do you know when I was a part of the Axe discussion? You didn't know I was a part of it. No, I read it. was do, offline. We were offline when we it. had. Okay. I listened to you and you do some, some coaching work and chaplain work for uh, some businesses. Uh huh. And I was privy to one of the businesses' conversations that you do for their company. You host, you host a devotional because oh, their yeah, company yeah. is committed to the Lord. And so you host a devotional for that company. Yeah. And uh, I, was, I was in the car listening. Oh, right on. And it was awesome, yeah. So that's, that's my axe. Now, that's separate from Take and Read, but it's an okay. axe with Chad. So. Yeah, so we're uh, the Take and Read Season 2 is in uh, the Book of Acts. And so we're just taking our our sweet time through it, and uh, it. similar to Mark, which books. was like eighty some odd episodes of the Gospel of Mark. I don't know how long it'll take to get through Acts, but could take like one hundred and fifty episodes. But anyway, okay. we're gonna do Let's it. Do it. And uh, Where are we, we are we're in Acts chapter four. So to kind of help you and, and anyone who's tuning in for the first time. As we've worked our way through Acts, we've recognized that Acts is this continuation. Uh, at the beginning of it, uh, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke, uh, and he is writing Acts as a second volume or kind of the, the second part of his account to Theophilus. And he indicates at the beginning of Acts that uh, in the first book, he had written all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so the implication is that Acts is this continuation of what Jesus does and teaches. And yet Jesus will ascend in the first chapter. So there's this, this clear connection that Jesus is going to continue to work and teach through his body, the church. And so then the Acts, it stands for Acts of the Apostles, this idea of this continuation of Jesus in the life of his people and what he does and teaches in in this early first century church. And so we have, you know, the the day of Pentecost and the Spirit coming down and and three thousand are at souls are added that day to the 120 that existed prior. So you've got uh, several thousand people now worshiping. And then shortly thereafter there's this incident uh, that Peter and John are headed to the temple in the afternoon around three, and they see this man who's been lame from birth, and he's begging. And so they, you know, he 
is hoping that they'll hook him up with some sort of uh, alms, so some sort of financial offering, and and they look at him in the eyes and say, we don't have that, but what we have is even better. And so then they heal him in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, and he gets up. So here's somebody who has not had physical like muscles structure to walk ever because he's been lame from birth, and in an instant, he doesn't just kind of like stand up like a baby fawn all weak and wobbly. He gets up and he leaps around. And so just the physical miracle of tendons and sinew and muscle growing to full capacity that would allow a man to run around and jump, I think is just amazing. And so this happens. Everyone recognizes it in the temple and they cannot believe it. And so this mob is formed, this this great crowd forms around Peter and John. And they're looking at Peter and John kind of like, what did you do? Like, what, what, who, by what power? And Peter then takes clear opportunity, is ready, and the Spirit of God moves through him and says, and he responds and says, why are you looking at us? Like, we did anything by, by our own piety or faithfulness or power. We didn't do this. Here's who did this, and then he starts to tell them, this is the one, the author of life, the one that you murdered, the one that you killed, uh, the servant of God, the holy one, the holy and righteous one, like he's the one that did this, and in the power of Jesus Christ, this has happened, and this man is healed. And then he proceeds to say, but I don't hold this against you, you were ignorant, but now your ignorance can no longer be the excuse and he goes on to tell them that it was Moses and through Samuel and all the prophets, this was proclaimed that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And so he's wanting them to repent. He actually calls them to repentance. And then he says in verse 26 of chapter 3, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by, return, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And so that's where we left off in the last episode. So Peter has just... The healing has happened for this man. Peter has just preached uh, this impromptu sermon, and now you and I get to look at what's the response of the people as they're in the outer courts of the temple to Peter's sermon. Okay. Now, Casey and I have, we offline before we hopped on, we spent some time in prayer asking the Lord to give us insight. And I like to... The, the word that helps me is to seek illumination, the idea that the Spirit of God, just like when I walk into a room that is dark, I cannot see or understand what all is there, how things are oriented, unless I turn on the light, so unless the room is illuminated to me. And so in the same way, when we approach Scripture, it's important to ask the Lord to illuminate, to shed light on and give us clear understanding so we can see what's actually here. So that's what we've done, and uh, we're going to jump into chapter four uh, of the book of Acts. And I think, I think I'm just going to have us. Uh, I'm going to kind of leave us at a cliffhanger. Okay. Okay. In in ancient tradition, there were often times where a a shipwreck, uh, being seized by pirates or even a trial scene that is about to happen would often be this kind of this moment of stopping a story in order to build anticipation. And so I'm going to do that for us. And so we're only going to read the first four verses and process okay. what's there. 
So here we are, chapter four, one through four. And as they were speaking to the people, that is Peter and John, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. We're going to stop there. Even though probably in your Bible it has it continuing and there's not a section heading, I just want to stop and consider these things. So what are... What do we understand about the scene? Who's there? What's happening? And kind of what has transpired from everything we know leading up to this? Any any thoughts? Any w- things you think are important to recognize about the context here? Uh, who are the Sadducees? Recognizing okay. yeah. their role in that period in time. Why were they annoyed? Why were they disturbed? Mm-hmm. Why would Good. they care as as a person in 2023? Why would they care if they were teaching the people? Mm. Lots of people were in town squares teaching people. That wasn't unusual. Right. So w- why were they particularly disturbed by this one? Yeah. Man, I think your questions are really good. Uh, if you were to do just a little bit of research just on the Sadducees alone throughout uh, the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, there are some references. And then... You can kind of explore historically just understanding the whole dynamic of the first century kind of Jewish world. The Sadducees, it's important to note that that is the group that is there along with the priests and the captain of the temple. And so to you have within the, the temple itself, there's a particular stru- hierarchy or authority structure. So you have the high priest who would have been kind of the, the chief, the CEO, the, the top official that had authority within the temple, according to the Jews. But, um, and so the other priests that would have kind of been there were subject to the high priest and, and his leadership. This temple uh, captain would have been a a police kind of force that was under the authority of the high priest, and so uh, the temple captain would have been the captain of the guard, and so it would have been the kind of police uh, authority that is there to kind of enforce uh, rules and to keep the peace within the temple. And so you have the priest, the captain of the temple, so you've got now this gathering of religious uh, figures, you have this police uh, force that is present because there's this giant group of people that have gathered. But then you have the Sadducees, and that's one of the things that's important. I think it's very key that that's what you noticed. Um, there are some things that we learn from the New Testament that the Sadducees are, there's this this political, religious political group, so they're in kind of connection with the Romans, so they have a particular political authority within the religious area of Judaism because of the their allegiance with the Roman government. They particularly deny the resurrection, 
And I think it's also understood that they only believe in the Pentateuch of the Old Testament. Oh, so that's important. References to prophets and the prophecy and anything around the resurrection would have been completely contrary to their doctrinal stance. And that's why it indicates that they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Mm. So that particular doctrinal teaching that they're kind of perpetuating would have been contrary to the Sadducees and to see its popularity within this great crowd. And it's also understood the Sadducees had a particular influence over the high priest and over the you know, the the temple guards, and so that's why this group could have had the authority to then uh, take them and arrest them. The fact that it's evening, so when they arrived, it was around three in the afternoon, and so they had been there for a while because now it's evening time, and there's that's why they're going to be held overnight. And then what would convene in the morning would be the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is not this new... Uh, body that we would have encountered, but that would have been the same group that was a part of the trial and kind of conviction of Jesus mm. in, in the series of his last night. Unlike Jesus, they they have to officially meet, and there has to be a particular quorum in order for them to do official business, but in Jesus's case, they met at night and under the cover of darkness outside of an officially called meeting, and so it was a a mock trial that Jesus endured, but here we see they're going to be arrested and it's going to be, uh, they're going to wait till morning when the Sanhedrin officially sits to hear their case and to see if they're in violation of Jewish law. Also, it's interesting, I think that historians have identified in the Sanhedrin at that time, many of the Sanhedrin members were Sadducees. Oh. Which is, yeah. Is there any sort of um, political comparisons you can draw to the Pharisees and the Sadducees to today? Were they at odds with each other? Did they work together? Uh, yeah, they would have. Uh, so Pharisees would have been just almost a more pure uh, religious uh, um, order within Judaism. So Paul was a Pharisee. And mm-hmm. a Pharisee of Pharisees. So there's a particular uh, training and uh, a path of advancement that would occur within the Pharisees in their own kind of sense of hierarchy and authority. And they would have been experts in, you know, theology and law. Uh, you have uh, Nicodemus being a rabbi who's also a Pharisee. Uh, then you have um, the Sadducees are more of a religious political group. So their their authority uh, is is primarily because of a relationship with the Roman government. And, okay. and so there is a little bit of nuance different, difference. I don't know if somebody could have been a Sadducee and a Pharisee because they do have religious differences. Pharisees okay. accept the resurrection as a part of what is taught in the Old Testament – Pharisees take into account all of the Old Testament books, so the prophets, the prophets, and the wisdom literature, whereas the Sadducees are just going to limit their their focus on the Pentateuch, and they're going to deny other doctrinal, you know, things like the resurrection. So, okay. 
And they I don't know if there's a modern comparison to that. Uh, I only ask that because I I'm trying to assess their um, what what did they stand to lose or gain by Peter and John being in the square, and if they were political, uh, you know, if they received some political benefits from being the ruling elite, then was there was there uh, devoutness due to their love of the Lord? And that Jesus, preaching the name of Jesus, was mm -hmm. threatening what they, or was their devoutness to the fact that they had a lot of good things that were a result of being the Sadducees and this Peter and John, five thousand people yeah. just heard this message, and what is at risk that, well, that they are? Yeah, I think that that's a good question. What did they have? What would cause them to be annoyed? Was there annoyance at the? the doctrinal components like they're teaching Peter and John are teaching something they think is patently false. Yeah. So is their fidelity to the truth what annoys them and the, and what they perceive to be the truth or is it the size of the crowd? And yeah. what the scripture here indicates is that they were greatly annoyed because of the teaching. Cuz they were teaching the people that the resurrection in Jesus from the dead and it seems to be that that is what here in Acts, what, what Luke is reporting, and, and it almost says in verse 4, but although that this arrest happened and they were held uh, you know, at night, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So I think that is a – sometimes people will interpret that as an additional 5,000 men were added to mm -hmm. the number. I think it actually – as I look at it now, I think it's this ongoing tally so that we had in, in chapter 2 and 3, we understand that 3,000 oh. souls were added. And I think that now it's saying that the, the number is growing. And so now there's about 5,000 men because uh, it says the number came to. So it's like it's the number is growing. This, this group tally. is growing to now include 5,000 men. And so they're obviously – more when you consider women and children. And so I don't know if it's a an additional 5,000, but it's probably likely that several people of the thousands that have already come to know the Lord through mm -hmm. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost that are probably there at the temple also engaged in the teaching, hearing Peter and John teach and engage. And, uh, you know, because it talks about just before in uh, chapter three that, you know, that the, the the trend of their life they were attending the temple regularly they were like so this was the way the community was engaged and and so i think it's also important to note that i think historians estimate between 25 and 85,000 people was the population of jerusalem at that time uh -huh. so when you've got 5,000 men and maybe a couple thousand more in women and children that's a significant number of the population mm -hmm. so it's it's becoming a thing uh, it's so, gotten the attention of the ruling. Yeah. I wonder, Chad, how much if if we look back on the latter parts of chapter two that we that where we saw how they fellowshiped as believers, they shared all they had, they breaking of bread, you know, that 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 romanticism that we often play as the early church that we all wish and long to be a part of again. But that was very contrary to the living of the times. 
And it was catching the eye of, I've, I've even heard people, some people say, you know, that way of living is what helped the Christian population grow so rapidly at the time because it was so attractive and different and it, set, it was so set apart. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's obviously gotten lots of attention that these people are living in that way, sharing everything they had, bringing together a common pool. I, it's amazing to see that when God's people set themselves apart as he intends to live mm-hmm. different and holy and set apart to look different than everybody else, how much attention it garners for, yeah. for, for, for good and for bad. Yeah. But that we see that throughout the history that when, when God's people set themselves apart as he intends, their lives change. It garners attention that makes other people's lives change. It's a powerful force. And you see here in the Sadducees, I, I'm sure that they were somehow uh, influenced by what had already happened before this teaching. Mm. I yeah. didn't think about that. I was focusing on the teaching and not the big picture. I, I, was, yeah. I needed to I think, let the rest of Scripture inform me. No, I think you're. I think that's right. To it's a good thing to notice that the size of this community as it grows is going to grab the attention of a because it's a counterculture. It's it's a it's a different culture that's starting to develop within this this group of followers and you know the idea of church that we get that word uh comes from two greek words ek uh, or uh, kaleo uh, and so it's the greek word ekklesia which means called out ones so this idea of a group of people that have been called out and I've gathered, and so there's this sense of this group that is gathered and is is now separated from the rest of the people, and so there is something that God is up to in the church. We see it here, and we should see it more and more prominently today as communities, as body of believers gathered as the church. Uh, what do you, as you stand back and look at this this short scene? So there there's. They're speaking to the people, so they're in the, you know, we've seen Peter's sermon kind of finish up, and as they're speaking, so as he's finishing up, as he's teaching these folks, all of a sudden you've got these priests, this group of priests show up, you've got the captain of the guard, probably with other officers uh, of the guard, the Sadducees, it says, came upon them, and so this group descends, you've got this mixed group of officials from the temple uh, from a variety of you know offices, and are greatly annoyed, and so they arrested them. So now there's this arrest scene. So now Peter and John are now disrupted, and there's probably a lot of commotion in the crowd. They're disrupted. They're they're brought. They're arrested. Brought into custody, and they're being held, and so they're they're whisked away into some holding chamber or cell that's there in the temple, and. Then we're given the information that even though that happened, many were added to their number that day, and many had believed. So when you look at that and understand there what what must have what must they have believed and understood about this scene, and how does that inform the way we live our lives? How is that significant for us today? Mm-hmm. They meaning the people who were reading this. Yeah, either the recipient of this or maybe even the people present. 
That's my favorite way to examine scripture, by the way, to think about what they must have thought when they yeah. first heard this. And the, yeah, there's well, multiple audiences, I think, that make up mm -hmm. the, our understanding of what this means. You have those that are present as this activity is happening, but then for Luke, what does he want Theophilus to understand as he's reporting this? And then how are the original kind of early believers as they're receiving this scroll called Acts, how are they responding to that? I think that obviously we know that the Sadducees being the ruling elite, just like today, there's a, um, there's a tension that always exists between those who have the power and those who do not. And we see those who have the power whisk away Peter and John mm -hmm. and, and uh, men of ordinary learning, just, you know, no, they're, they're not Paul. They're not, they weren't, you know, men of ordinary learning seizes them. Man with power seizes pa Peter and Peter and John takes them into takes them into custody. We learn later, obviously what happens after that, but even in just these first, few verses they've been jailed just for preaching of this word of Jesus so as a bystander as a reader at that time I would think what was so interesting and powerful about this right. word of Jesus I think I maybe should know more about it yeah if if they if they grab you know it's like it's like when one of your kids is about to tell a secret and you grab me go duh, 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 don't say that they were probably fixing to say something really good. What right. is it that Peter and John were saying that ruffled these feathers to that extent? At a minimum, yeah. at that period in time, my human nature is going to make me want to go, what is that about? Tell me mm -hmm. more. Yeah. And in these five, four little verses here, I, I always like to say I love to read in between the lines. I mm -hmm. think that's where God speaks the most. It's amazing how we can see God stitching details how he works every detail out for his glory, for the perpetuation of Jesus's story, for our good. And you can see it in so many ways in these four little verses mm -hmm. that just with the set, the Sadducee seizing Peter and John was, was a catalyst for this story, right? For this little portion of the story was a catalyst, just their simple act of grabbing them. Imagine if they had restrained themselves and thought just a little bit as they ha they had a history of before mm -hmm. this and of, of just if they were restrain themselves said now if we grab these people it's going to even you know if that right. that little act would have changed a lot yeah probably that so i love to consider that in those hmm. four just in those four little verses the lord stitching together set a, a profound scene that we'll see later in just those four little verses of them being seized yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I think, too, um, something that I find to be significant here for us, you know, not only the way and the boldness with which we communicate the gospel as believers and as as ministers and as teachers, like how bold are we? Do we ever, do we ever pull the punch? Do we ever kind of hold back for fear of, you know, what kind of uh, response might happen or what, what uh what kind of uh, yeah negative impact that might cause our, our own life. Uh, but then also just keeping it simple, mm -hmm. 
uh, mm-hmm. telling telling what happened and why it's significant. Like if you look at the content of Peter's sermon, he he deflects and says, "This what has happened in the this man's life? This healing that has occurred, I didn't do it. I can't take credit for it. I never will." Uh, this is all done in the power of Jesus of Nazareth, the one that his, was crucified and then rose from the dead. He tells them information about their own heritage and story. So he references Moses and Samuel and the prophets. Uh, these are these are a part of their own heritage. Mm-hmm. So he says this is in line with their story and your story. And you may have been ignorant up to this point, but you're not ignorant anymore. And so the reason why God did all of this, the reason why he sent Jesus was so that you would turn from your wickedness and have life in him. And they're talking about Jesus rising from the dead and that we're all called into that resurrection eventually. And this is what just inflames the authorities. And yet it brings life to many who, who hear it and go, that's... I believe that. That's true. That's my story. And I don't want to be ignorant anymore. And I think for us today, just communicating the truth that like, we really do believe Jesus rose from the dead. It's not a metaphorical thing. It's not a poetic thing. I think that there was literally physically a man named Jesus, uh, born of a virgin, who walked this earth over 2,000 years ago, was the son of a man named Joseph that was a carpenter, but was from God. And he was from Nazareth, a podunk town that nothing good came from. And yet God was pleased through him that he, he lived a perfect life and demonstrated that he was in fact the son of God. He was the one that all the prophets uh, alluded to, that God had promised would come and be the ultimate savior of humanity and that this is a demonstration of God's love. And I believe that to be true and that he did actually rise from the dead. I believe that. And that may sound ridiculous to people. It may sound foolish, but I believe that that actually happened. And because of that, I know that that I will be with God in eternity and I have hope that this life isn't the end. Mm-hmm. And And so I think it's just a... A reminder to be is is tied to the the simple facts of the gospel, but also tied to the significance of the gospel, and why that this is something I want to be telling everyone I know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that idea that it it's it if it if it wasn't offensive if it wasn't outlandish, it wouldn't have the power that the gospel has. Yeah. It, it is outlandish. There, um, there's a song that I love. You know, I always love to. You bring always in bring music. up good music. I always get <laughs> I you do. music from you. Uh, there, there is a there is a singer and lyricist that I love. That's a poet too. Her name is Jess Ray, and she has a song called "Too Good." And it's she says in the song, the hook of it is, "It may be too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true." There you go. That's and great. that's kind of I. Some, I can't understand it in my flesh often, and only by the illumination of the Spirit can I start to even grab hold of the gospel. But Amen. it doesn't mean it's not true just because I can't understand it. Bit, bit of it. Wow, that's good. Well, Casey, thanks for joining on the podcast today. Thanks for making the time, and I always enjoy. Awesome 
reading the scriptures with you and processing them and even reading between the lines uh, with you. So I appreciate that perspective and want to encourage anybody that's hearing this uh, maybe for the first time, Casey and I are, are two individuals that there is nothing unique or special about us in the sense that we're just ordinary people that God uh, interrupted our lives. And we we believe in Jesus Christ as the one true God. Uh, we believe in his resurrection and that he has given us life because of that. And, and so I want to encourage you that as you take and read the Bible, uh, just be open to the idea that Jesus is talking to you and that these, these are historical events that have long-lasting significance even today. And so I want to encourage everyone out there, uh, if there have been questions that have been provoked by this conversation, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions for Casey, you can email me at that same address, and I'll get those questions to her. I want to encourage everybody out there to, to like, subscribe, uh, do all the stuff you're supposed to do uh, so that others can find this podcast and take and read the Bible. That's really the goal here. And want to encourage people to leave comments. That's a place for the, the movement, the community of people that take and read the Bible to have conversation around the scripture. So I want to encourage everyone out there to go take and read the word of God. Blessings. Blessings.